1: I am Kara Swisher, editor at large of Recode. You may know me as the surveiller of capitalists, but in my spare time, I talk tech. And you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media podcast network. Today in the red chair is Shoshana Zuboff, a professor emerita of Harvard Business School, who has written several books about technology and economics. Her most recent book is called "The Age of Surveillance Capitalism: The Fight for a Human Future." At the New Frontier of Power. That's a lot there. (laughs) That's a lot going on. So let's talk a little bit about your background so people get a sense. This is getting a lot of attention, your book. And especially, I've been using the word surveillance quite a lot, especially about surveillance economies, surveillance states, and things like that. A long-time issue in human history, but now it's never more important than ever. So why don't we talk a little bit about how you got to writing this particular book and some things you've done in the past. So I'd love to hear a little bit of your background.
2: Well, I think the impetus for this book, which has been a long time in the making, mm-hmm. seven years just to produce this book, but many years before that and the the ideas and development, the real driver here is the sense that our hopes and dreams for the digital future, our sense of an empowering and democratizing digital future. Which it
1: was at the beginning.
2: Which it was at the beginning. And, and a sense that this dream was slipping away, mm-hmm. and that the reasons why it was slipping away, the causes of this shift, were were, were not really clear, not really well understood. Uh, forces taking shape very much behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and it's almost like we woke up and suddenly the internet was owned and operated by private capital, Mm -hmm. under a kind of regime, a new economic logic that really was not well understood. And so my motivation, Kara, has come from really wanting to spend the time to understand, to name exactly what this economic logic is Mm -hmm. and how its own imperatives, its own compulsions created... Uh, a completely different trajectory toward the digital future, something that we didn't buy into, we didn't expect. And because it's so unprecedented... It is, by its very nature, difficult to perceive.
1: Absolutely, and also difficult to control. And I like the word compulsion, because I think that's a really good way to put it. It's it's an emotional word, but it's not. It's actually, it has to do what it's doing.
2: It has to do what it's doing. It's a machine that's got to move in the direction that it's moving. And the people in it are not bad people. They're not bad actors. But they themselves now are caught up in an economic machine that... Sometimes they even don't understand very well and where it's driving and what its imperatives are. And most important what the consequences of those right, imperatives right. are.
1: Interestingly, I just uh, did an interview on Twitter with Jack Dorsey that was sort of a bit of a goat rodeo, but it was interesting because a lot of the questions I kept asking for specifics and he couldn't do them and it was really fascinating. I think people found that part the most fascinating. Yes. Um, besides the platform being terrible to try to conduct any kind of conversation on, but away from, let me, get, let me hear from your background. Talk about some of the things you've done before this and then I want to get into the, the term surveillance capitalism, which I think is a fantastic way to put it. Let me hear the trajectory of your, career what you you've started where to get to this kind of topic
2: well, uh, as far as my professional career, you know, I, I began studying the shift to the digital in 1978. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, were you born Contact, then, Kara? <laughs> I was.
1: I'm very old. I look fantastic, <laughs> but I'm actually quite old. Well,
2: hats off. <laughs> um, so, I'll date myself. I'll come right out there and date myself. I mean, I, I started in 1978 mm-hmm. interviewing office workers, linotype workers, factory workers. As the shift was the first, uh, the front line of our workforce that was shifting to the digital medium, right? And um, that uh, over time led to my first book in the Age of the Smart Machine: mm-hmm. The Future of Work and Power.
1: And t- talk about that time for people to understand it. I had a K Pro. I had a I had a Trash eighty. I know all these things, but talk about what that what was happening then. I had one of those suitcase phones and everything else. Well. You know, what was happening
2: then was typical of the 20th century story of capital, Mm -hmm. which was the the real titanic struggles in society were between capital and labor. Mm -hmm. And the forces of capital came down in the economic domain, in our workplaces, on on our lives as workers, as employees, even as managers eventually, you know, in our factories, in our offices. And so... That was the front line where I first began to understand that this shift to the digital wasn't only a change in the equipment that we use, Mm -hmm. but a change in the whole way that we construe and relate to reality and to our own experiences, the removal from the sensual, the removal from the embodied experience toward more abstraction, toward the intellectualization of work and so forth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I understood early on that this was going to require profound retraining. I, I kind of hate that word because yeah. it so trivializes right. the the real deal here, which is it's that beyond retraining, it's, it's a whole beyond new retraining. Of it's deep well. But even before we get to entrepreneurship, the idea that I'm working in a factory, I used to, you know, deal with a machine, and and uh, I uh, it was a whole body experience mm-hmm. it was running mechanical. that thing. And now I'm looking at a screen and I'm looking at information and I've got to understand it. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to be included in the workforce, then I've got to have the intellectual skills to understand this new milieu and make a contribution. Unfortunately, what happened in our society is that most businesses went the other direction. They didn't include the workforce in this shift. So then, you know, now... Uh, 30 years later, we've got so many people excluded from the workforce, so many people, mm-hmm. you know, taking drugs and having no place to go yep. and, and not being part of this future. And at the same time, we've got businesses who are complaining, hey, we've got, we don't have a skilled workforce. Right, right. You
3: right, know, we're,
2: we're our skilled workers. So this is the profound irrationality that we've seen developing so why in the So back system. then did it happen?
1: I'm sorry it- Dwell in the past, but I think it's very important to, under- to set the table of why we got here. Is there one thing that struck you at the time? An example of that
2: of the exclusion. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it was ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Kara, it was. There wasn't a, a single company that I, I, I researched companies all over the world mm-hmm. going through this transformational process and. Uh, I rarely found a company that was taking the the, the deep seated need for a new level of educational mm-hmm. effort and inclusion and you know public private uh, collaboration around that. I mean, the bigger story here is, you know, I write about this in the new book, the neoliberal paradigm, the idea that. You know, we're moving into, uh, this is, you know, back in the 1980s, we're moving Mm -hmm. into a shareholder value maximization universe. Uh, Everything is cost down. Everything is cost cutting. Everything is automation. Everything is offshoring. Everything is outsourcing. Mm -hmm. So really the workforce and the development of a robust, smart, inclusive workforce that was going to carry us way into the 21st century, that was not on anybody's radar. So I, I really was kind of a voice in the wilderness Mm -hmm. on that subject, and I think, you know, that has come back to haunt us now, Mm -hmm. to haunt our society, to haunt our people, uh, but also, you know, to haunt our our competitive capacity. I do
1: think this idea that people would matter in this equation— I don't know if you remember a crazy movie. It's one of my favorite movies Desk Set with Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, where he. Oh, yeah. he it's a wonderful movie about yeah. that issue. Yeah. It's very much. A, it's for a, another century. For another century. Absolutely. They were all researchers and they knew all the facts, and then the computer came in and would spit out the fact instantly, and so they could replace the entire thing. It was such a, such a. Tricky little movie, actually. Yeah. It was trying to be Impression. light and bright, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it wasn't at yeah. all light and bright. In the end, the humans prevailed, but they didn't. Like, you, you sort of like, that's that's going to last for five seconds. Um, and they had a great cast, like Joan Bondell, I think, was in it and stuff. But the, the concept that I always think about when I first started to see these things, and I especially saw, I worked at a newspaper and I saw them around classifieds. And I covered retail, and I was like, these people don't need to advertise in, in retail. You know, they don't need to advertise. They don't, uh, classifieds are static expensive. The, the person who's taking the ad is a jerk. And they don't work. Like, these were the things. Your whole business model is terrible. And classifieds do. Like, the classifieds online do. And I thought they weren't going to just... They weren't, it was say, I don't know, whatever, a $70 million business in San Francisco, the Chronicle, for example, it would be collapsed to seven and never go back. Like it wasn't going to be 70. It's just seven was the amount. And so what I kept thinking was every single thing that can be digitized would be digitized. And of course it would be digitized and there'd be no question about it. And therefore so many jobs would be eliminated. So many people would not be able to be trained properly. And figuring out how to train them was really difficult. Very difficult to do if unless someone was really paying attention.
2: Yeah, and someone was paying attention. Yeah, and
1: willing to spend some money. <laughs> right, exactly.
2: Looking toward the future and right. all the things that we're supposed to count on our institutions to do. Right, which they didn't do. Which they didn't do largely because of this, you know, ideology that swept in. Mm-hmm. And maximize and shareholder. Profit. Shareholder and, and and now finally, again, all these years later, like decades later, we're finally getting the critiques of mm-hmm. exactly the destruction and devastation mm-hmm. wrought by that shareholder value maximization paradigm that has had everybody by the throat for so long. And that's kind of the segue to the to the new work in mm-hmm. a way, too, because because that paradigm scraped the life out of so many of our institutions and our businesses mm-hmm. you know so now you know the, whether you're trying to deal with an insurance company or a telephone company or an airline or your healthcare uh, provider or even the the school system these institutions have been scraped to the bone and it's so hard for us to get the you know, the information and the support and the relationship and all the things that we're looking for, let alone the voice and the influence. So the institutional world has become a very impoverished, frustrating place for most people, unless you're super wealthy and you can, you know, buffer yourself from these mm-hmm. things. And that's really what drove us to the internet. You know, back in the day, in the late '90s, when the World Wide Web broke on us, and, and we called it the World Wide Web. We, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you, you bet And uh, you know, and and we rushed there really, looking for the succor, the voice, the influence, the information, the connection mm-hmm. that we couldn't get in these hierarchical silos that were just now cost down and, you know, you get seven minutes with your doctor and, you know, yeah. and so forth. So we went to the internet looking for what had been uh, taken from us in the real world. Mm-hmm. And for a while, that promise really was alive. You know, that you could you could get information that had been siloed away. Right, and, from government. And uh, you could contact people up in a hierarchy that would never pay any attention to you. And you could create uh, connection and networking. That Whether it was medical,
1: whether it was... Exactly.
2: And find like-minded people or people with a similar ailment or people trying to tackle a similar problem. And so the promise of empowerment and democratization was real Mm -hmm. for a few years. And the way I read that history was that, you know, there came a moment, and I write about it, that... A lot of it had to do with the financial emergency of the of the dot com bust and so mm-hmm. forth, where that began to turn. Mm-hmm. That's when surveillance capitalism was discovered, invented, stumbled, stumbled invented. into. It That's just happened at gauche. happened at Google.
1: Well, Google was invented out of the bust. It was very that was
3: when Go- it got
2: the Google that we know. Yes, came out of the bust. Yeah, and it came out of the bust, building on that vocab. Came out of the bust. Gangbusters, because it had discovered surveillance capitalism. It right. had discovered this economic logic, right. and that's what saved it, and that's what uh, and that's what spread from there. But so there was a window. Mm-hmm when our hopes and the promise of the digital milieu of a new information civilization, which reintegrated these principles of of the individual and democratization and so on, there was reality there. But that window slowly closed. It was closing even before we knew it. Mm -hmm. We still were thinking that it was this one thing mm-hmm. when it was already turning into something very different
1: well, you know the idea of it was that idea of reachability of you know it was a sort of a Star Trekian version of you know what I mean that we all had shared information freely and that it was easy to reach people that you could connect I will never forget going to AOL oof has gotta be in the 90s at 6 at, well, earlier than that 4, 5, 94 and there was a bunch of quilters there who had met online on America Online and they had built they had made a quilt all together it was such a metaphorical thing um with a big AOL symbol for Steve Case, and they wanted to meet him because he had a personality with them online. They'd never met him; they'd never met each other, but they had created this thing together. And it was—I remember thinking, what a hopeful idea! It's a silly quilt, but at the same time, what a wonderful. Connect these people connected from all across the country, and they were having cook. They brought cookies, and they petted him, and everything else. And it was really like a moment. Like this is a possibility. It's a, it was silly, but it was also very profound. I yeah, remember yeah. thinking, because it was about cooperation and and across borders and across geog- geographies and across loneliness, all kinds of things. Yeah. and it was fascinating. And then no. And then, you know what I mean? And then no. something happened. Something happened. All right, when we get back, we're a talking about. Funny thing happened on, on, the, on the way to the forum. <laughs> That's right, exactly. That was a good movie. Um, we're here with Shoshana Zuboff, the author of The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. We're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be
0: back after this. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
1: We're here with Shoshana Zuboff, the author of The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, The Fight for a Human Future at the New Frontier of Power. A, human, a fight for a human future. Like We just saw that. was what, what funny thing happened. Talk about what happened and how how you sort of coined this term, which, again, I love.
2: Thank you. Well, the way I tell the story... Surveillance capitalism, like mass production capitalism, Mm -hmm. uh, was invented at a time and place. You could say invented, discovered, cobbled together, trial and error, experiment. But the thing is, it was a human thing. Mm -hmm. And it was... Discovered, invented, elaborated in a moment of emergency in Silicon Valley with the uh, bursting of the dot-com bubble, a lot of pressure on all those young startups, all those fledgling companies. Google was right there. It had the best search engine. It had some of the smartest people, these brilliant founders, great values. and uh, Allegedly great values. I was there. Well, publicly yes. stated great mm-hmm. values. I can't opine beyond that. It was right uh, after Beyond they got the, their first plane, the that pub, everything uh, fell apart. But go ahead. Okay. Well, you're you're the uh, you're. I the, remember that. I was like, oh, you're, you're the on-site reporter
1: girl. So no, uh, I just have to say when I
2: saw that first plane, and then they had several. I was like, <laughs>
1: oh, oh dear, it's
2: done. Yeah. I hear you. I hear yeah. you. So what happened was, um, even though it was widely understood that they had the best search engine. Mm-hmm. Uh even they were now under tremendous financial pressure. And they even were. their very swanky uh, venture capitalists were threatening to withdraw support. Mm-hmm. And so, long story short, you know, they went through a dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. They had been very public about rejecting online advertising as a disfiguring force, both in general on the Internet and specifically for their
1: search engine. But They did like the purity of it at the beginning. They really did. They really did mean that. And I do remember there's a story in Fortune called Chaos at Google. I remember it was a, with the, doing the O's with chaos. There. And I remember thinking, oh, dear, now they're going to have to... You know, there was pressure, you're right, 100%. Go over it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, th- this kind of pressure really changes the situation for people. I mean, they're not the only ones who have experienced this kind of thing, but, you know, then you got to make some tough choices. And essentially what they did was, declare a state of exception Mm -hmm. you know that state of exception is powerful powerful concept you get to suspend your principles Mm -hmm. you know in politics you get to suspend the parliament suspend the congress suspend democracy Mm -hmm. in order to operate under emergency so they declared a state of exception and at that point There was already a situation where they knew that they had a lot of collateral behavioral data that was left over from people's searching and browsing behavior. The data was set aside, considered waste, not adequately stored or organized. But some people had been fooling around with it, understood that it had a lot of predictive value. Mm -hmm. Under the state of exception, what they decided to do was to use these data logs, quote, data exhaust for their predictive power, combine those with their already frontier computational capabilities. Mm -hmm. And even in those days, they were calling it AI. You Mm -hmm. know, AI is a moving target, as you know better than anyone. In every era, it's AI, but it keeps changing. So combine these unused data with, uh, with their computational capabilities and use that to predict a piece of future behavior in this a future human behavior, in this case, where someone was likely to click. Mm-hmm. And what they were going to do is now sell this to their advertisers. Coming out of the black box, a product, a computational product, that predicts this little piece of human behavior where someone is going to click. Mm-hmm. So those online advertising markets suddenly were transformed not just advertisers figuring out keywords and where to place Mm -hmm. their ads. Now they're transformed into a different kind of market. These markets, if you just zoom out a tiny bit, what you see is that these markets are now trading in behavioral futures. They're trading in these tiny products that predict future human behavior. Again, Mm -hmm. specifically here, click-through behavior. Right. So now we have a logic where... The surveillance capitalism is unilaterally claiming private human experience because of course the the folks who were searching mm-hmm. and browsing didn't know that they no, were exuding no. these collateral data or which that they, those data were being saved,
1: right, which they were because they would put them up on the wall at Google. they, they would've ever been there early in the day? they had the scrolling, queries.
2: That's right. In the which lobby. Was, and
1: then you would watch them and they would it, you could see that it was so valuable, like it was like gold going, and they, they spun it into gold really.
2: They spun it into gold mm-hmm. that's exactly what they did, Kara mm-hmm. and in fact there's stories about Larry Page um, actually worrying about that scrolling uh, display in the mm-hmm. lobby, that it gave away too much mm-hmm. of exactly how intimate and how insightful and how personal these flows of data were. So, the logic here becomes we're unilaterally claiming this private human experience Mm -hmm. for a market dynamic. Now, we're taking it into the market. Once we take it into the market, it comes out the other side as behavioral data. Mm -hmm. We combine that behavioral data with computation and out of that we produce these prediction products that tell us what you are likely to do now soon and later
1: right and as they add more data into it like location or whatever you do it just it's it's beyond it i used to call it to them a database of human intention you now have the database of human intention okay girl well then you got it yeah on. it was fascinating this
2: is the database of the human future mm-hmm. and what those online targeted ad marketplaces or the First, um, precursors, really, mm-hmm. of what have become the dominant form of information capitalism in our time, mm-hmm. where we are trading futures in human behavior. That has become how surveillance capitalism rose to dominance, how it makes its enormous revenues, how it has earned its market cap and become the largest, most powerful companies on earth. By convening these markets to business customers, not to us, that want to know what we are going to do in the future. And all of the economic imperatives now that define surveillance capitalism are aimed at how do we get better and better prediction products. How do we win the most lucrative prediction products so that not only are we predicting the future, but really increasingly our prediction products are equal to observation? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, you know, as you just mentioned, Kara, first we go for scale. We need a lot of data. We do. Then we go for scope. We need all different kinds of data out from the online universe, into the real world, where we're going, all the sensors, all the cameras, all the devices, all the internet of things. Then we're going deep into personality, emotions, facial recognition, voice. But then finally, we're going beyond scale and beyond scope to something I call action, economies of action. How do we actually intervene in the state of play, to shift, modify, tune, herd your behavior to toward our guaranteed outcomes, our guaranteed commercial right. outcomes. Right, Because the more we can do that, the more powerful the Which predictive data. Which was the premise of
1: advertising in sort of a spray-and-pray method in the old days. Like, oh, this you, ad will make you want to use Kodak. or But it was very—
2: Yeah, girl, but without the digital. Right, right. Now they've got an unprecedented in human history— mm-hmm digital architecture of intense, detailed knowledge, Mm -hmm. which also means intense kind of power. What is this knowledge that has never existed before? And what is the kind of power that accrues to them that with that knowledge from all this ubiquitous architecture that allows them to to know so much about us— What is the kind of power that accrues to that that allows them to now use this architecture as a global means of behavioral modification, essentially, Mm -hmm. to tune... It is used
1: in some places that way.
2: Yes, to tune and herd and shape us with methods that are designed to be out of our awareness.
1: Right. That's exactly, I was just talking about that with someone, is that you don't understand it. And you, you don't, shouldn't have to understand it. You don't understand why a car is unsafe. You don't need to be an engineer to understand that you should be protected in that way. And what they do is they force you to do, I was just saying this to Dorsey on the thing. I'm like, you make, you, you say we're sick, and then you force us to cure ourselves when you created the illness. You know, it's kind of, it, which is fascinating. And they're like, what? Absolutely. Which, which I think one of the parts of it that I find really is the, they push away the power they have. They pretend they do not have this power. And then what I begin to realize recently and over the last year or two is that they're incompetent to the task. <laughs> that they, don't, they don't have the skills necessary. They don't have the ethical underpinnings. They don't have the knowledgeable about society. They don't have the emotional quotient to do it. They don't... The, the whole thing is so abstract that they can't even begin to get what's happening. So the question... Talk about how you came up with the idea of surveillance because surveillance is a very... Heavy word. Heavy word. Loaded. It's heavily loaded. It it reminds one of China surveillance, watching, spying, things like that. Talk about how you coined this term. Okay. Because I think it's completely appropriate. But talk about that. Yeah,
2: I hear you. That's a really good question. And it's, you know, I really want our listeners to know that it's not hyperbolic. Mm -hmm. Um, No, it's not. Yeah. And it was very intentional because. Think about the term mass production capitalism, which historians have used a lot, or later managerial capitalism, which historians have used a lot. These adjectives that modify the capitalism, what they're doing is they're pointing to the pivotal piece that is the value creation hub, that critical success factor for value creation that defines this unique market form. Mm -hmm. So for mass production capitalism, it was the mass production system that was the source of value creation, Mm -hmm. in contrast to, say, mercantile capitalism. For managerial capitalism, it was the whole professional managerial hierarchy, the administration, all of that, that created the value that drove the economies of this new capitalism and made it so successful.
1: So when you're saying surveillance, someone, I think it was Roger McNamee, said the other day, you know... Capitalism is like chicken. You can make it taste like anything. Like and it, as you add whatever the the special factor is, and in this case, surveillance is it?
2: Well, what happened in this discovery process was they realized that there were behavioral data all over the place that had tremendous predictive value, and it was more data than they needed to improve their products and services. Mm-hmm. So it was surplus data. So how, how are we going to get this surplus data? Because people aren't giving it to us or if they give it to us, it's by accident and they don't know we're taking it. Mm-hmm. If we ask them for it, they're not going to give it to us because uh, really anytime, time, every piece of research going back to the early 2000s, anytime you you tell people about these practices mm-hmm. of taking their experience, turning it into data, using it to predict and so forth. Nobody wants any part of it. Right. As you said a moment ago, everybody wants security. Everybody wants to be protected from it. Nobody wants to be part of this. Mm-hmm. So they like free so, things. But go so, ahead. Well, that's another story. But, They understood early on that if they're going to get these surplus data, they had to do it surreptitiously. They had to do it through what I call the social relations of the one-way mirror, Mm -hmm. to take without asking. And early on, you look at many of those early patents, and you see the scientists actually defining in a very positive way, we can get data that people did not intend to disclose— We can get data that people don't even know they disclose because we can fit together different bits and pieces and make deductions and inferences. Therefore, we can come up with profiles and insights and patterns about individuals and groups and so forth that people don't even know they're giving away and did not agree to give away. Right. So from the beginning, for this thing to work, to get that behavioral surplus... They had to do it secretly. Mm-hmm. They had to do it backstage. They had to do it with mechanisms that were designed to keep us ignorant, designed to bypass our awareness.
1: Mm-hmm. And then call it a black box.
2: Well, actually, better yet, don't call it anything. Don't call, <laughs> like, right, right.
1: Like, no, they're doing it over what, here. The, we're, 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 we're not doing anything. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, or aren't so, these? Or, or, or if we give you this map and you turn it on, you will have an even better experience. And I'm always like, no. Right. So there
2: what they And even using it
1: I'm disturbed, you know, and I don't turn on any of the saving functions.
2: You know, one time I I took a few weeks off and I got together all the manuals I could find that great magicians had ever written (laughs) to describe (laughs) their craft and how they actually, you know, pull Mm -hmm. off these incredible tricks. And what I learned from that was that the key pivot for a great a magician is the idea of misdirection. Misdirection. <laughs> Distraction. Right. So, boom, I'm over here, you're over there. Mm-hmm. Your eyes are there, I'm working over here. And I, I then I, going back to look at the, the rhetoric and the practice of surveillance capitalists right from the beginning, it's so clear that misdirection has been an essential piece of this. Mm-hmm. So, we're telling you, we're giving you free services, and we're connecting the world, we're making community, and you can search for everything, democratization of knowledge. It's not that some of that isn't true. It's just that it's misdirecting us to this piece of the iceberg when the whole other part of the iceberg is underwater, Mm -hmm. unavailable, uninspectable, Mm -hmm. obfuscated, intentionally hidden. And so, and you know, fast forward... 2012, 2013, the scholarly write-ups about the Facebook emotional contagion experiments Mm -hmm. where the smart people, data researchers from Facebook and academics, they write about the outcomes of this research in which they discovered that they can use subliminal cues online to manipulate offline behavior. Right. Online, we can do something that changes you enough to actually change your behavior in the real world. This is a very big deal. So, they, in the scholarly write up, they brag about this. Mm-hmm. They say, now we know that we can use the online medium to change behavior in the real world. And they boast very clearly, very explicitly, and we can do this. Bypassing the individual's awareness, right? Exactly. That is a critical success factor to this right. entire economic logic. You have to not know logic. why you're pushing that red button. Ergo, that they make you push
1: surveillance. Them. Right. Capitalism. Perfect. All right, Shoshana, this is great. When we get back, we're going to talk more about what to do about that and where, where it is going. Because I do don't it. think it's going good places. <laughs> um, we're here with Shoshana Zuboff, the author of The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. We're here with Shoshana Zuboff, the author of The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. She's also a professor emerita at Harvard Business School and has written lots of books about technology and economics. And we're just talking about this idea that they're sneaking around, really. <laughs> Pretty much they're sneaking around and we don't know what they're doing and we're agreeing to it tacitly by not doing anything or, or, or being taken advantage of. Which way do you look at it? Because I think people do accept – um, you know, I, I, they accept especially because they're they're enormous companies. I was just talking to someone this week when Eero was bought by Amazon, and I have Eero in my house. I like it; it's a mesh network. My kids like it because it makes their whatever Red Dead Redemption twenty six work better. And it was bought by Amazon, and I remember thinking, "Oh God, they got into my house. I didn't let any of them into my house now." And I like this mesh network. Mesh or I had a ring thing in the front of my house, and Amazon bought that. And then Google's Nest was in my house, and I had to take it out. And it just you're was, going down, girl. I know I'm going. They're <laughs> going to get me. I don't know what they're going to do. They got to. They got. They but got They don't. You. But interestingly, my kids unplugged the nests. They we don't want okay. them watching us. Okay. But it was. But they are good products. They're like cool. Like the the the, the they temperature were, products. They were, good. were before
2: yeah. the economic logic hijacked right. them. Right.
1: Exactly. Like hey, it's great to be able to manipulate your temperature on an app. Great. What a great product. Um, Absolutely, But then I realized the other day, oh, they're watching my my temperature. Now, I don't know what use that is, but there's some use to it. There's some fascinating use. So what do we do? Because even like I like literally I'm like they have me coming and going and I'm pretty aware of this stuff.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I know they're sneaky bastards. I got that. <laughs> I got, I know about them. I, they, well, if, anyone,
2: if anyone's had the close-up bird's yes. eye view, and it's they what,
1: they, what the worst part is, I think, when I talk to them is they don't think they are. Like I'm like, are you lying or lying to yourself? or it's a really weird they I don't know how this happened Gara. I don't know how we have all this data I don't know how we misused it and then you get sort of, Essential bullshit from people like Mark Zuckerberg was like, What we want to do is bring you relevant ads. <laughs> and I'm like, said nobody to anybody ever. Like, I do not want those. I do, uh, maybe I do, but not really. It's All not right. something I requested. So, what do we do?
2: Well, like, part of what you're talking about here is, you know, the misdirection is the romance. Right. Weaving this romance. Because you like a magician. Fantasy Who doesn't like a magician? about Who wants it. You to know, see the girl, we're going to you know, connect you. We're, you know, mm-hmm. relevant ads and we're the new church. And, right. Um, but Look, this is...
1: this is the word is, relevant ads, but go ahead.
2: This um, is big time... Econ- this is economic history, mm-hmm. right? So this is big time uh, flows of capital. Mm-hmm. These are corporations. And I think there are a couple important things for our listeners to know. One is that there are some, you know, what the philosophers call category errors that have been foisted upon us. Mm-hmm. One is that this is how the digital works. You know, so everything that we're talking about here, this is just the consequence of digital technology. It sucks you, up you You want the digital, this is what you get. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely dead wrong. Yeah, they can turn it right? off. Right? Dead wrong. We know that, you know, there were wonderful models and reports and projects and early developments, the smart home mm-hmm before surveillance capitalism became public when, when Google IPO'd in 2004 and we began to actually see this economic logic at work. And the whole idea was a simple closed loop. you got devices in the home. Those devices are producing useful information for the occupant of the home. Simple closed loop, two nodes, the Mm -hmm. devices and the occupant. It's the occupant that gets the data. It's the occupant that decides uh, what it means, with Mm -hmm. whom to share, and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. You know, you fast forward, you brought up the Nest thermostat analyses of the Nest Thermostat now show that any vigilant consumer who's got one needs to review a minimum of 1,000 privacy contracts. Right. Because Nest is a hub for all these smart devices. Each one siphons your data mm-hmm. to third parties and third parties and third parties in infinite regress. So this is an economic logic that has like a parasite, you know, just glommed onto right. the digital milieu and hijacked it in a completely different direction. Now, what is this direction? We're in the beginning of the 21st century. And one of the things that I think is so important for us to think about is that we're talking about When we talk about surveillance capitalism, just as industrial capitalism gave us the culture and and the quality and the moral milieu of our industrial society and our industrial civilization, Mm -hmm. right now surveillance capitalism dominates. And if we don't stop it it's going to define the moral milieu and the culture and the nature of 21st century society. And right now, what that looks like is an extremely unequal society where in an information society, we shift from... Really an emphasis on labor and the division of labor is the key thing that organizes Mm -hmm. us to learning and a division of learning is the key thing that organizes us. Who gets to know stuff? Who decides who gets to know stuff? Mm -hmm. Who decides who decides who gets to know stuff? These are the dilemmas of knowledge, authority, and power that define our 21st century society. Right now, surveillance capitalists sit on a huge asymmetry of knowledge. Mm -hmm. They have an asymmetry of knowledge, a concentration of knowledge, unlike anything ever seen in human history. And with that knowledge comes, as we talked about before, the ability to actually shape and modify our behavior to tune us and hurt us toward their commercial outcomes. So this is now a new axis of social inequality that's not only economic inequality, which is still critically important, Mm -hmm. but also knowledge inequality and the inequality of decision rights, the inequality of our capacity to be autonomous and self-determining, the inequality of human agency. So we have an institutional disfiguring of now these huge asymmetries of knowledge and power, which are antithetical to democracy. Yes. You cannot have a well-functioning democracy with massive inequalities of knowledge and power. And so that's eroding democracy from the big institutional level. Mm-hmm. But now from the individual level, from the inside out, the mm-hmm. fact that our autonomy is compromised, that these things are happening outside of our awareness, that they can take hold of our behavior and shift it and that's modify right. it in ways that and we make don't it know, very noisy. This is eroding our moral autonomy, our ability to claim our future for our own. Agency for our own decisions, for our own choices, our own promises of where I want to go and how I want to get there. So
1: we're so essentially we're we're stupid from the top, and we have no choice, and we're being spied on from the bottom, exactly, and, and being pushed around so, without our knowledge. So
2: these qualities of stupid and manipulated, is what moral you're autonomy and mm-hmm. and uh, individual sovereignty. These are the elements that are the constituent forces of democracy. Mm-hmm. You can't imagine a democratic society without imagining people who have these qualities. Right. So we're getting eroded from the inside and from the outside and when we see something like Cambridge Analytica which is, you know, has been a big aha for a lot of people all mm-hmm. over the world, what we see is this erosion in play. Using exactly the methodology of surveillance capitalism just slightly pivoting them toward political outcomes instead of commercial outcomes using them to change our behavior and the only way they can do that is by by mustering these huge asymmetries of knowledge Turning that into power to intervene on us and modify Mm -hmm. us and control us and manipulate us and undermining our individual sovereignty. So what what do we do? We
1: only have a few more minutes. What do we do? Okay.
2: Regulation? What happened? What All right. So we've got sort of three big categories of what we do. Number one, we need to see change in public opinion. Mm -hmm. We need to wake up. We need to name what's going on. We need to grasp it. We need to understand it. They have allowed to develop in this direction for the last 20 years as democracy has slept. They have been unimpeded by law, unimpeded by regulation. That has to change. And the way that's going to change is a sea change in public awareness. The outrage, the sense of intolerability, this is not okay As we become aware as a public, we're putting pressure on our democratic institutions. We need new law. We need new regulatory regimes that interrupt and outlaw the key mechanisms of surveillance capitalism, including the very principles of taking human experience unilaterally and translating it into data, Mm -hmm. including the very principles of... Do we want a dominant capitalism that trades in behavioral futures? Right. Is that the way we want to make money in the 21st century? Right. So that's number one. Number two, we need new forms of collective action. In the 20th century, we had collective bargaining. We had the institution mm-hmm. of the strike. We had people coming together to create power, to balance capital. We need to do that now in the beyond the economic domain. We're just called users, mm-hmm. but we're not just users. We have political, social, and psychological vested interests in what's going on, mm-hmm. and in the possibility of a free and democratic future. Well, you
1: know, it's interesting, users only used with drug addicts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> think about it. Exactly. It's their I, name I was for us, a, not our name for in the most incredible meeting, I think it was Van Jones was speaking in front of a group of young African American kids in a church, and I, I wouldn't have said this, but he did this. It was really amazing. He said, "How many of you uh, download stuff from the internet?" And they said, "Oh, like like what a stupid old man." Oh yeah. yeah, of course we do. Everybody does. And then he says, "How many of you upload things to it?" And they were like, "What?" And he goes, "You're all digital sharecroppers." It was an astonishing thing to say in front of it. You know what I mean? But he was right. They, you you were being used by the powers that be to till their land. Like you have now, your land is now their land, and and your information is now theirs. And it was really. It was an eye-opening moment for me. And I was sort of like, and then the kids, of course, got it. Like, oh, if we're not part of the ownership of it, we are being you. It was really fascinating minute.
2: Well, what we are is the free source of raw material for right. this whole That's what I economic mean, yeah. logic. Right. So we've got changing public consciousness, outrage, intolerability, mustering democracy, new law, regulation, intervening, outlawing. We've got new forms of collective action. And a third critical piece is the opportunity for competitive solutions. Right. We get the new companies, the right companies, the new leadership to create the new ecosystems and alliances that really provide an alternative trajectory to a digital future, the kind of place that we wanted in the first place, the kind of place that is human, yeah. that we can call home. And that, and, and the tools are useful. And the tools are for us, Mm -hmm. not for them, Mm -hmm. about us. The knowledge is for us, not about us. Mm If we get that new competitive solution, we've got those new competitors, literally, Kara have an opportunity to have every single human being on earth as their customer. Right. Because there is no one on earth who voluntarily wants to tangle with surveillance capitalism. Right. They have foreclosed the alternatives. They have hijacked the internet. They have hijacked the digital milieu. They've hijacked our homes, our cars, and our bodies. This is not okay. This is not how it's supposed to be. It's not healthy capitalism. It's not a healthy 21st century society. And it's deadly, deadly recipe for human freedom and for democracy. This is not the future we want for our kids.
1: You're speaking my religion. But let me just end on this. One of the things, I did an interview with Mark Zuckerberg, and one of the things he put forward, and I was hammering him on all the things, these kind of things, saying exactly, not as eloquently as you have, but I was hammering him. And one of the things he said, well, you know, what they're doing in China, they're doing all the surveillance, facial recognition, this and that. I'm like thinking, you'd love to do that, Mark Zuckerberg. But it, it, he was like, he essentially was putting out the term, it's either Xi or me. Like, if we, don't, if we aren't running the internet, if, if you constrain us, us big companies, the Chinese internet, will, where they do do facial recognition, where they do do, where they allow social scores and things like that. And I was thinking, when he said this, I'm like, I don't like either choice. I don't like you, I don't like
2: China, I don't like any of it. Once again, we're back to misdirection, Cara, because what what that statement does is that statement has given up on democracy. Right. And some people may think, you know, these folks, surveillance capitalists think that we can substitute computation for democracy, Mm -hmm. computation for politics. That's what the Google city is, Mm -hmm. substituting computation for politics. I believe in democracy, I believe that the values of the enlightenment in the arc of human history these values were produced 5 minutes ago. Mm-hmm that humankind has sacrificed for millennia in order to get to the ideas of human autonomy and individual sovereignty and democracy, that the demos can regulate itself, that we cannot let go of these ideas. Mm -hmm. Every generation has to step up to the responsibility to reclaim, to fight, to resuscitate, to maintain the flourishing and the growth and the deeper rooting and institutionalization of these ideas. We cannot let this go. Mark has already let it go. Mm -hmm. He's a cynic on democracy. But I'm not. I don't think you are. I don't think most of our listeners are. Yeah,
1: Shoshana, this was fantastic. It was great talking to you. Thank you for coming on the show. I urge you to read this book. It's called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. The fight for a human future at the new frontier of power. It's critical that we think of these issues. And thanks to you all for listening. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about this show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. Shoshana, where can people find you online?
2: Find me online, ShoshanaZuboff.com,
1: Twitter, uh, Shoshana, at Mm ShoshanaZuboff. I'm easy to find. You're easy to find. Me too. Now that you're done with this, go check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder.